Welcome to Sports 360 Podcast. Here we talk about issues in the wide world of sports, ranging from local issues from the Nigerian scene to global issues. And uh, we like to make it an all-sports affair. Sports 360, we can go anywhere, any sport. My name is DG Omoto Imbo. And I'm Adeyemi Adesoya. I am Akimbode Ubuntui. Hello out there, everybody listening to us on Sports 360 Podcast. Great to have you join us. And we thank you for always joining us every Thursday on Sports 360 Podcast and subsequent days when you have time to download and listen. We're here again today. Three interesting topics, two of them local and one international. And um, like I always like to say, Yemi Adesan is here in the studio. But they are going to use in some studio <laughs> looking at us. Uh, from Dallas, Texas, where he's monitoring the NBA playoffs for us. And the playoffs getting very, very interesting. But that's not on our menu today. But we start with basketball all the same. But this time, basketball on the local scene. Nigerian basketball, dovetail into the topic we want to talk about. About a week or so ago, maybe 10 days ago, the story came out that Nigeria's American basketball coach, uh, Mike Brown, opened a GoFundMe page to support Nigerian basketball. Well, as we speak, let's put the caveat. We honestly do, I honestly do not, maybe they will have more information. I honestly do not know whether that was somebody trying to play games, but it was actually Mike Brown putting up a, a GoFundMe page. So let me start with Bode quickly. Tell us, is that page really there or was just somebody playing pranks? You ask me a question. Let, let, let me ask you let, let me ask you one from here to myself. Okay. Um if the page wasn't put up by Mike Brown, if, if the page is not genuine, how come the Nigeria Basketball Federation have not said anything about it? How come Mike Brown has, has not come out to deny it? Okay. It's, it's been making the news. A lot of people have been passing comments and yet there's no work from the Nigeria Basketball Basketball Federation. He had denying or confirming and Mike Brown, Mike Brown, Mike Brown has, has said nothing. So I'm going to assume. That the page is real. It's genuine. Uh, I, I have my thoughts. It's genuine. I, I have my thoughts on, 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 on the pros and cons of that page and the reasons why uh, the, the page might have been set up, but we'll get to that. Okay, but all right. But where I'm sitting, I think it's genuine. Okay, all right. So what, what we're doing, we're not, we're not really talking about that page per se and whatever funds they want to raise there, whether the merits or demerits or appropriateness of having that kind of page. What we're talking about is that just epitomizes the issues of funding in Nigerian sports. There is basically a funding gap. Funding gap in terms of developmental programs for discovery of athletes and nurturing them up to probably world-class global status or gold medal or medal status at the Olympics. And funding in terms of infrastructure. Across Nigeria, across Africa, actually, there's a huge death of quality infrastructure for sports. So, that's our topic. Funding. Yemi Nigerian sports. What are the models of funding available in sports? And why are we so weak to exploit some of these models? Hmm. It's a very, very, very tough and also uh, interesting topic. Um, but maybe I should start with a bit of a background. And I think that um, it's important that we discuss why it is difficult for us to explore some of these uh, models, models mm. <clears throat> instead of just focusing on the models that are available that we can okay. use to okay. fund. 
One of the reasons is because we don't maximize the potential that sports affords us. So, for instance, you have stadia that don't generate money mm-hmm. at all, or they don't even generate money outside match days. You don't have the actualization or utilization or the maximization of the value chain of sports. So, issues like this make it difficult for you to even explore the respective funding models that are available. So, for instance, you want to build a brand new stadium in whichever area in Nigeria. Let's let's say maybe somewhere in Badagri, you know, try to open up the Badagri space. Uh, or you say somewhere in, um, like we discussed in, the, in, in one of our podcast episodes where we said, you know, you could build a stadium somewhere in maybe uh, in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And gradually, it opens up your build up up, development. So there are different ways, either through private funding. So what does that mean? A private individual comes up and says, look, um, I have this money. I want to build um, a stadium that includes not only playing surfaces, it has a mall, Mm, has has cinema, has a theater, has all sorts. So host concerts. So the the revenue stream for that edifice is broad. Yeah. So for that private investor, as said, means of which he will get his money, even if no football or athletics or tennis or whatever happens in the member, mm. the variety of other outlets ensures that he Case gets his point, money. The O2 Arena in London. In London. Mm. Um, another funding option is naming rights. Yeah. So. Like the Lagos State Government did a fantastic thing by opening up Odeco Stadium and naming it after Mobolaji Johnson. That could have been the name of a company. Exactly. That could have been the name of a company and that would have been money into the pockets of Lagos State to fund sports Mm. and also give uh, the brand an opportunity to, you know, expand their brand equity. Another form or method is bond raising. So okay. bond raising through the capital market. So, for instance, you want to build a stadium. You want to uh, enhance infrastructure in sports. You can approach the capital market with a bond issuing program through any of the capital market companies or financial houses out there. It gives you access to long-term funds. So you can have a bond that runs for 10 years, 15 years, payable in 10, 15 years. A lot of the state governments use that to fund road networks, building bridges and all that. So you can do that for sports as well. But in paying back that bond, that means that that edifice has to be fully functional, Mm. has to be Mm. earning Mm. revenue. Mm. That in itself is one thing that we don't do enough. So that is why why it's hard to talk about all these models outside realizing that these are the things you need to put in place for you to be able to activate those models. Okay. All right, um, Yemi mentioned something, buddy, that um, it's about sustainability. You know, we have these edifices. We've had edifices, National Stadium, went moribund. Even as uh, later as 2007, we hosted the All-Africa Games, the National Stadium in Abuja. We do not put sustainability issues into this, uh, our sports structures, so to speak. Also, in terms of programs, that we say we want to have. So, for instance, we want to attract funding, want to attract sponsors. We do not give them, it looks like we think of sponsors, sponsorship as an event-based thing, not a continuous 
model of sponsors are now lining up, Super Eagles are going to the World Cup, sponsors line up for that World Cup and that. We're not thinking of a long-term sustainable development. For instance, the two basketball teams are going to the Olympics and we're talking about a GoFundMe page. I'm not sure MBBF as a body has put up a marketing uh, sponsorship plan and have approached anybody to say, these are the potentials. Our two teams are going to the World Cup, I mean, the Olympics. Um, this is where basketball will be in five years at this growth rate. Basketball is growing in Africa and all of that. And all of that. So it does look like that model of government funding has, quote-unquote, they say, Yoruba spoiled us. And we never think outside of the box to get funding for sports. Um, two things. Before I go to that, um, uh, that's your that's your comment on Demi BF. Let me first say that you are talking about um, how to get funding for sports. The easiest one, the most simple one, the one that has been touted even in Nigeria, getting a percentage of betting money to form sports. We have talked about it. We assume that it's being done. But there's not been a follow-up. There's, there, there's been no exact figure put on. And Nigerians bet a lot. Yeah. Nigerians are, look, betting has all but taken over our, our, our landscape. All, almost every youth that, that, that you come into contact with now, they have betting slips in their, yeah. in their pocket. It's good to me. Yes, you mentioned it because I was coming to a, that, but go ahead. There's a loss somewhere. That says a certain there's, percentage. There's a loss somewhere. That, yes, it should go to sports. But... I, I don't think anybody anywhere. Someone said, "Look, for this yeah, amount that is going to sports, it has not happened. There's got to be a reason for that." Now, to your to your question about the MBF, I don't think it's an MBF problem. I think it's a cultural thing. I think I think it's an Nigerian problem, and I think the economy, or well, the, the economy is assumed to have a lot to do with it, because I can tell you for free, and I know for a fact, BG, that. Remember the popular qualifiers for the, for the World Cup that were held in Lagos, yeah. where the Greece and Glamour came to play with basketball. I remember clearly that some a top official of the of, of, of complained bitterly to me. He showed me the package, a package prepared for companies and for MDs. He said, "Buddy, we we sent this to them and followed up with phone calls and emails and meetings that come and see where basketball is going. What are doing with basketball and come and." Come, let's let show, show you what it's about. He said he prepared, I think, 500 or something for the series of games that half of them returned on, were returned to him unopened. And of, of those that were delivered, a few people showed up. Some actually spoke with them, but they never, they, they never came through. Deji, it's the same thing, it's the same challenge that you and I have. We are sports people. Mm. We have programs on TV and radio Constantly, the same challenges that we face is the same that these associations face. Let's be fair with them. Our companies and our, our, our and our institutions, the, the only entertainment that I feel pay any, any, any mind to is music. Any other thing for them is an aside. That is and, and that is what they are budgeting. That's that's what they choose. So I feel that. It is the mindset of the corporate bodies that you have to change. Look, like let me will tell you, most of them they, they, they don't see sponsorship. What they see is CSR, and there are two different things. Sponsorship is something you do continuously, 
get tired of it with so many artists once and you just take it off and move on with your life. So for me, I think it's a problem that is national, it's a problem that is that is that is cultural, and it's something that we must we must face. And it's not just Nigeria alone. Apart from South Africa and probably some countries in North Africa, I don't think that there are any other countries in, the, in, in, in Africa that enjoy constant sponsorship. Even Ghana, that we look, sometimes Ghana, Ghana may be a, a, a little bit because of the way they are, um, they, they are, they, they are structured. But apart from that, I think it's, it's, a, it's a continental problem. That is why tournaments also suffer. Cup tournaments, of course, as we have discussed, as we have discussed. So I think it's a continental problem, and I think it's because a lot of these companies are foreign-owned. They are not local companies. Local companies that are too busy fighting bankers on other fronts to focus on sports sponsorship. For instance, there, there, there's, there's a company in Nigeria, for instance, that if, don't let me mention the industry. You will know if, if, I, if I mention the industry. They, 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 what they do back home for sports in their country, we see it. But it's, it's all repeated in Nigeria. They also talk, they, what they do is tokenism when it comes to sports in Nigeria, as far as, 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 far as I can see, DG. Okay, but um, Yemi, but has touched on a couple of situations. Um, one, they, 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 I think there's supposed to be a, not lottery, maybe lottery funding. Yeah. There's supposed to be a percentage of the betting money that comes. I know that has been discussed back and forth, but I think that now dovetails, whether they're collecting that money or not, we do not know. I think it now dovetails to the issue of transparency and accountability that bedevils our sports. In the last few weeks, a couple of uh, corporate sponsors have signed up with the Super Eagles. There, there was fanfare, there was announcement. Nobody talks about the figures. Yeah, nobody talks you about never the hear the figures. Yeah. So, and for corporate bodies, I've been involved in, I've known stories of sponsorships as far back as the track and field, the oil company that was sponsoring it. Yeah. They pulled out because of issues of transparency and accountability because they had to defend their budgets. So yeah. some of these corporate bodies, while I agree with Buddy, that some of them cannot see beyond their noses in terms of decision-making. But some of them look at the situation and it's like, if I spend this money, it has to be properly accounted for. Yeah. I have to face the board and say, I spent 10 hours to sponsor, I have to justify it. Yeah. And when there, there are too many underhand things, when there's no transparency, when there's no accountability, when there's no public display of figures and say, this went to what, this went to what, it becomes a problem for them to justify uh, investing or spending or funding sports. Um, you know, Wise Body makes a very valid point that um, there's a problem of attraction mm. somewhat for the corporate bodies to be attracted to sponsor sports. You've mentioned another company that was sponsoring athletics mm. and they did it for a long time. There's a beverage company that sponsored uh, the, the FA Cup Challenge Cup mm, back then for mm, a long time. There was another beverage company that sponsored the league for a, for a while in the 80s. But the main question is, we should ask ourselves, what is the lack of attraction? What can we attribute to the lack of attraction on the side of the corporate And I think one of those things is the fact that they're not properly engaged. Engaged in the sense that if I put X amount of Naira into sponsoring a competition, a federation, a team, what in actual fact am I getting back? Now, as value, I, value proposition. Yeah, what's the value proposition? I've always said it here, and it might sound unfair to the federations, but I don't think they give the corporate bodies that mileage that they seek. As against when they put the money 
in music, in entertainment. Mm. So, mm. somebody signs up with Super Egos, like you mentioned. You know that since that day they signed that deal, that's the last we've had. Until Super Egos have a game. Until Super Egos have a game. Mm. So, what value have you added to that brand by signing up with, with the Super Egos? We've talked about the Federation's Cup here. The brand has attached to it. If we are being sincere, how much of a value have they gotten, have they gotten with that relationship with the NFF? We've talked about the issues the beverage company has had with the NFF and the Super Eagles over time. If you look at it in a broader sense, how much value have they gotten? So there needs to be a proper handshake, a proper a fusion of our a needs synergy. and wants, proper synergy of what both parties want. Okay. It's not just enough for you to stretch your hand, collect the money, and then fold your hands mm. and not do anything and expect that brand yeah. to be the one running around. Because for me, buddy, there's nowhere in the world where sports can be funded fully by government. No, of course It's not. simply not possible. It's, 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 it's impossible. And there's also... No place in the world, no big, the biggest sports franchises in the world depend heavily, heavily on their corporate partners. Without it, they can't survive. So there is a huge gap here. There is a disconnect, I think, between the sporting world and the corporate body. So how do we bridge this gap, buddy? Because there is a disconnect and we must find a way to, like Yemi said, find a way to be able to shake hands across the table and realize that this partnership can and should work for, for all concerned. There are two things. I mentioned earlier, I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go back to it again. First, I think it is economic. Um, when companies make profits, when they make profits in when companies exist in a well-run economy and they make profits, naturally, they will give back. The fact of the case is that the overhead that a lot of Nigerian companies that are not making money by the minute, mm. the overhead that they spend on things that should have come naturally from the government, the amount of damage that your car and my car suffers on the road, on the bad roads, and the amount of money we need to maintain there, and multiply that by a company that has 50 vehicles. It's into the bottom line. You are buying spare parts that may turn out to be bad spare parts, which should replace every two weeks, like twice a month. Imagine the amount of money they spend on buying diesel because there is no power. And then they are being extorted by power holding company officials who bring who bring big bills. Just like the fact that there is no power. Look, it is when this overhead, when they make sense that that they will see. Look, th that is the simple truth. We cannot deny that one of the biggest challenges in, in, in running the business in Nigeria is the, 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 the overhead costs that you incur. The charge it, it, it does. It, that is for me. That is one. The second thing is that. Until, as a continent, we develop, we, we, develop, we develop local business leaders that are making money. I'll give you an example, DG. There's a young man in Ibadan. I mentioned Mr. Maki Aladi. Yeah. He has, he has been supporting shooting stars for a long time. 
there are times when the government when, when, when the when the government is not involved in shooting stars that he from the business from the money speaking from his business he supports the club. Imagine if there are 10, 12 people like that who yeah. love the, who, who love the team. Yeah. You can't support something that you are not invested in. Yeah. And a lot of these companies, they are like I said, they are foreign companies. They are not invested, they are not interested in 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 in, in sporting in developing sports in Nigeria. So it has to come from a place of interest. Yeah. Did you and I know that if I make a lot of money, basketball in Nigeria will enjoy because sh- I love basketball. And shooting stars. So you have to be invested in it for you I to get spend it. money on it. Okay. And since there are lots of now, what do we have in Nigeria now? Chinese companies, uh, mm. uh, uh, mm. Lebanese companies, uh, South American companies. Uh, so and they, they are not that. It is just what it is. Sadly. Okay. All right. We we're rounding this up now. So um, we have a lot to gain from these partnerships. We hope we will find, somehow find a way to bridge the gap. But they made a good point about overheads and all of that. So the sponsors don't really have that much to spread into sponsorship and all that. Some of the uh, some of the states have also started what you call a sports trust, which is good if they know what to do, if they know how to run it. Sports trust is what you use to form. Uh, Infrastructural development at grassroots level, majorly. <laughs> he is covering his face. I don't know why, but at least the models are there for us to explore. Because, like we said here, sports cannot exist without corporate funding, funding and support and sponsorship from the organized private sector. Sports cannot survive without. There is no country in the world, in the entire world, where government can afford to sponsor all no, their sporting needs, both developmental and infrastructural. We have to leave this. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can't go back to it. Maybe subsequent episodes, we might be, we'll have to cost to go back to it. We're talking about infrastructure. We're talking about stadia and all of that. Uh, we're talking about our teams playing in good stadia. Super Eagles have gone to so many places to play. The last game they played in Atesim Balogun in Lagos. They played in Uyo. They played in Calabar. They've, you know, very few stadia in the country can adequately take care of a Super Eagles game. And that brings us to these Super Eagles, this time, the home-based Super Eagles. And I'll start with the man of the troublesome beats. <laughs> Let him explain to us why this is happening. The Super Eagles are to play friendly against Mexico on the 4th of July in the United States. I think it was, I, I can't remember it's where. California. Is it in California? Okay. California, where there's a huge Mexican and Nigerian population, it must be said. That's not the story. And the Two things. is home-based Eagles that are going to play. I still don't understand why, but I think I, I get the feeling that it coincides with the start of the uh, training programs for the professionals in Europe and all. Okay, but it's fantastic for the home-based guys to have that kind of experience, which we like. What I don't understand, buddy, is the fact that the story came out that it is the technical director of the Nigerian Football Federation, uh, Austin Eguavon, who was a former coach of the Super Eagles, that would be that will be handling the team in terms of being the coach for the team. When Gennard Raw is here, is being paid, and his, his purview is all Nigerian footballers, not only footballers who play abroad. And also, I remember when Keshi was coach of the Super Eagles and Olise. Both of them, both of them handled both the Super Eagles A team and the Chan or the so-called home base. Super Eagles. So, but uh, uh, maybe you need to educate us. What's different here? First off, the G, 
I'm surprised you're asking this question about Ro and the home base you go. I've asked since you Ro had taken the job. <laughs> Ever since Ro took the job of coaching Super Eagles, he has never been interested in the home base Eagles. Um, remember that um, it was during his tenure that um, uh, uh, the, we, we played the Waffle Cup, Ghana, and during his tenure that we played the Chan qualifiers. We, we played Chan qualifiers, and every single time, every single time, from the mama to uh, what's his Salisi name now? Salisi Yusuf. Yes, Salisi Yusuf. The handling of the home base has always been done by local coaches. And it's only the NFL that can explain that. Nobody else can. Um, that's on one side. The, the other part of it is that this particular trip, when that game was announced, there were sound bites from General Tro saying that, asking who, who, who fixed those internationals. Because somebody asked him, I said, I'm not aware of it. You know. And I remember, I, maybe it was you or Yemi that raised the question then that must you be aware of it? It's not your business to be aware. Once they give you a schedule, go and play. But when he, he made that statement, and there was, there, it, it was petulant about it. It was petulant about it. It was clear that from that point, in fact, we, we were not even sure who was going to prosecute. We, we didn't even know at that time that that game was going to be, was going to be prosecuted by home-based players. We didn't know. It was later. When the dates were made, uh, were, were, were made available, that you realize that, hey, wait a minute. The odds are that this play, uh, that uh, Europe, Europe based players will not be available because they'll be in the training camps for the start of, their, of the European season. That's when we knew. And even at that time, remember that even when, when, when it was pointed out that, hey, this game that you have put on, on this day will be prosecuted by home based players. Some people were skeptical, like, hey, what do you mean? Even if they're going to be in training camp, it means only one week. They, they, they can take, take a week or play the games and still get back to their camp in time. But here we are now, with a few days to the game, and it is clear that it's because proceeded by home, home, home based players, and it is clear that indeed the neutral is not aware and is not interested. All those questions can, can only be answered by, by the NFL. Why? There's a set of rules. Of, of, course, of course, we've always talked about this. The, the, the job of the national team coach of Nigeria, it is an office. It, it, it never should be a personality. <laughs> so if you think Yemi Adesanya is the one that will coach the national goose, there should be a standard paycheck, a standard list of things that comes with that office that should not be negotiated down or up in any direction. It should be there. So whether it is Tolabadikale uh, or Dijamoto Imbu or Barotunde Koiki, that is going to be the coach, or whether you are bringing uh, um, uh, 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 Popovich from, uh, uh, from, from San Antonio, <laughs> or you are bringing uh, a Verstappen from wherever to coach the team, this, it should be standard. But here we are. Every time, and look, and I, I believe that is why that job, whoever, whether it's a foreign person or a local person, like that, 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 is, that is coaching that team, will not be taken serious. Because we don't know, we don't, the standard has not been set for it. Every time some, in fact, I can tell you, maybe almost for free, that the way Keshi and, uh, and uh, what's Olisa said, probably different. Every time a new person comes on the job, 
the people employing look at the person and say, okay, this person we can we can treat somehow. Or this person you have to respect. This person, there, there's something this person will not take. And they just go ahead and and, and along by that playbook. And I'm say, I'm saying it here now openly that let us set set a minimum standard for who will coach the team and what will be the benefits of the office and stick to it no matter who takes that position. As simple as that. Okay, but but it touched on the point I was going to make, um, which is fairly obvious from what he said. It looks like there is a different set of rules. Obviously, not that it looks like. It's obvious. Let me take that. I, I rephrase that. It, it's, it is. It's obvious. There's a different set of rules when it's a Nigerian coach vis-a-vis when it's a foreign coach. Because some of the things, we've said it on this podcast a few weeks ago, some of the things that Gennard Raw is getting away with, NFF would never accept it from a Nigerian coach. And one of the things that irritates me most is inferiority complex. If Gennard Raw was a Nigerian coach, some of the statements he makes, some of the choices he makes, some of the attitude he shows, some of the petulance he displays, the NFL will come out hard on that. Even at respected internationals, uh, respected like former captains of national diagonalise, like uh, Keshi, they won't accept this from them. So I I I I worry about this attitude because this man, I, I I'm sorry, he's like he's on a freebie. The national team is playing in Mexico. He's not there. I mean, playing in the U.S. He's not there. He's not there to watch. He's not there to train. At the end of that month, he draws a salary. What exactly is he doing? Don't be surprised when that game starts and you see a few of Mexico's European-based players featuring in that, yeah. in that friendly game. Just watch. First of all, I think we should need to go back to the genesis of the problem. Whoever came up with the term, mm. with the term, I think that's how in 88 with Manfred Rona. You have to correct me if I'm wrong. With the term technical advisor, mm. I think that is the genesis of the problem. The day we decided to coin that acronym, technical advisor, for mm. any foreign coach that comes to Nigeria. Well, I think, then, then you call the local one, one coach. chief coach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've made a good point. I never really thought of it like that. That's where the problem started. I never really thought of it like I that. Remember, That's a very salient, very salient point. I remember my, my uh, late dad once said, salient point. If you are calling someone technical advisor, it means he's just there to advise the chief coach mm. on the places or the areas where the chief coach is technically deficient. So he's supposed to be reporting to the chief coach. But in Nigeria, we took it Tony, the yeah. other way and turned technical advisor into a football actor. And even some local coaches have adopted the tag technical advisor. That is where the problem is. So once you bring a foreign coach, give an elevated status, he believes he's better than all of you. Mm. He believes he can look down on everybody. And that's what Guerrero has done from the get-go. He throws us passions on Nigerian, on local base players. And nobody says anything. Nobody says anything. Mm. He passes snide remarks on them. Nobody calls him to order. Why? Because he's supposedly better no, because, than all of us. So let, let me pause you there. You continue. Because, look, if, if your job is coach of the Nigerian national team, uh, no matter how bad the situation is, let's even assume the situation is bad, it is not your place <laughs> to publicly be disparaging the country from where you draw a fantastic salary. salary. It's not your play. If you have those doubts, behind closed doors, 
Tell your employers, I think I can do this, I can do this. But and if they don't do it, resign and go. And go. If you, I mean, Gennard Rock keeps saying this, he keeps making these snide remarks. And like you said, nobody is checking him. Continue, Yemi. The second side is because even us, our local coaches, mm. our local coaches have zero respect for themselves. Mm. They lack self-esteem. Why am I saying so? Egwavon is the technical director of the Nigerian Football Federation, mm. which means he's Gerard's boss. Yes, everybody else will be under him. Everybody is under him. His role is very simple. You put together the, the entire football template of Nigeria from youth level to women's football to the national team. Organize scouting across the country. Putting together the entire football development framework of the Nigerian Football Federation. That is a government job. Not to handle the one local, of the teams. One of the teams. No. And you could even hear Guerrero with the things he was saying. Oh, this is not my team. I handled the eighteen. Austin will handle this. As if Austin reports to him. Oh, did he say that? Oh, yes. There's an interview that he said that. Wow. And because Austin himself probably doesn't know his job function, that's why he would take the job. The only time you see the technical director of any football federation or even a football club take a job like that to handle a team is if there's a vacuum at the chief Created. coach, at the yeah, manager's yeah, level. Yeah, maybe and the they're waiting to resign yeah. or and they're waiting to employ somebody and they have else. Him. That is only them. So I think sometimes our local coaches need to develop some level of self-esteem, self-esteem and mm. say, no, this is not my job. They need to be able to tell the elephant, but the people say, ah, if he tells the elephant that, if you sack him, where will he get okay, another but, job? But, you know, I, stuff I, like that. I, I get that. I get that. But, buddy, why do you think the NFF pandas to foreign coaches, which Gennaro is not the first. I mean, this happened before. Gennaro is not the first. Um, there was a coach that came and expressly said he was not going to stay here. You know, there have been instances. So, for I don't want to think honestly because I feel that the current NFF is populated by well-educated, uh, well-established, broadly traveled people. They don't be like that. I don't. I don't <laughs> expect them. This current at least the top echelon to have quote-unquote any inferiority complex towards any white man from any part of the world. But they appear to be pandering to Gennadro. They appear to be letting him get away with blue murder. Why is this or in your view? Why do you think this is happening? I will first answer your question in the comment card with you. <laughs> and then try to get a bit serious. They say he who pays the pipe and the king the tune. Mm. What if you are not paying but I'm still if I even remember I'm not paying but they wait but they wait let me return to that if I'm your boss and I'm not paying you eh, you are at liberty to resign you can't just be doing anything in my office what's the case you will resign and you lay claim to the money I owe you you won't come and tell me I will do this I will not do that because you are not paying me you understand so that's my retort to that I, I agree with you, but still, if you are not if you are not if, if you are not paying the piper, you can't tell the piper what to play, play what he likes, and he tell you to anyway. That that's just that's just an aside, DG. Um, I think that look, I I heard you say that uh, the Nigerian the the the, the, the Nigerian coach is earning a fantastic salary, and I'm sure some people will hear you and they will laugh at you. 
Peace of Mosimani, mm. who moved from South Africa to North Africa. Mm. I suspect that if you check the salary that is earning with Alali, it is not the same as probably more than what General Show is earning. Yes. But it, by, Ni- by Nigerian standards, standards, nobody has earned as much as General Roy is earning for handling the national team. And I'm sure that so Alali, by Nigerian standards, I'm sure that Alali generates more money than the NFF. So let's <laughs> say something else. See, you, 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 you keep changing the goal. Now you're adding Nigerian standards. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have fantastic salary. Yes. I'm telling you that the salary is, yeah, I agree that Nigerian salary is fantastic, but is it fantastic? But look, my global standards. First off, first off, the salary is fantastic considering where we brought General Trump from. And I remember that we said it on a radio program that this coach that you are bringing from this place, and we have said, we have said it repeatedly that if, if, an, if an Nigerian brings that CV, then an NFF, he won't get the job. The so, yes, he's earning a fantastic, fantastic salary. But you, you get what you pay for. We have talked about funding here. And, and Yemi has made a valid point. I mean, it's not, it, I, I said the truth. Alali probably makes more money than the NFL in terms of sponsorship. And uh, and uh, um, fun, Bali, fun, fun engagement, so, uh, exactly. So, the NFL are, are handicapped by the fact that they don't have enough money because it depends on the government. And when they don't have enough money to spend, they spend it without thinking about the future. We have talked about that before, they waste the money when they have it. So, since you get what you pay for, you know, it, it was like, so, like so, somebody said to me, so, to, to, me uh, to me yesterday, what I ordered be, uh, as against what I got. <laughs> <laughs> huge, huge difference between the two. <laughs> Big difference. We can't look. It is you and I who talk about these things. Who, 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 who see Nigeria and the super goods? Like one superb brand that the best coaches in the world will want to come and work, uh, uh, come, come and think. But the fact is that that stock is dropping based on these yeah. things we are discussing. Yeah, no serious coach wants to come and work in Nigeria because these stories keep getting online and people keep seeing it worldwide. And so, whenever we get what we get, those thoughts come with an attitude knowing that they are stretched high and wide, high and low. And when there's nothing, they bring whatever they can get. And when those ones realize that, wait a minute, because all of them come with almost nothing. But when they get there and they see what's going on, they start growing wings and they start, they start behaving the, the way they like. So the problem, it, it's all manner of connections mm. that, bring, that, that has brought us to where we are. Unfortunately, it's going to continue like this for a while. Until mm. That first topic we discussed about funding and about proper organization, about proper accountability, until mm-hmm. all those are sorted. This is that we are going to be on, we, are, we are going to be ordering, a, we, are, we are going to be thinking we are ordering a Bugatti and we get a Volkswagen, as simple <laughs> as that. 
They say when the desired is not available, the available becomes the desired. I think when exactly. it comes to coaching, that's exactly what's happened to us. We're stuck with, with all due respect to Gennaro, I don't have anything personal. I don't have a personal relationship with him. I don't have a uh, personal affiliation to him. I honestly don't care. I've said this several times, whether we have a Nigerian coach or a foreign coach, as long as it's a coach that's doing a good job. What I worry about is double standards vis-a-vis Nigerian foreign coaches, um, the way we tend to disrespect ourselves. Um, because as far as I'm concerned, Keshi suffered so much disrespect, but he's, he's, he's uh, achieved much more than this gentleman has achieved. And uh, this gentleman, I think, is getting away with all kinds of issues. Like they say, quote unquote, he's taking the pee. And, I mean, we are allowing it. And the powers that be seem to be comfortable with it. What can we say? On that note, uh, we go to coaches who are doing great things. At the Euros and the European uh, Championship, that's the European Nations Cup, whatever you want to call it, is in the knockout round now, but we are not going to mention the knockout round. We're just going to try and do a review of the group stages and see how it's been like. Um, it looks to me, Yemi, as I start with you now, that in this first round, none of the usual suspects faltered. Yeah. All the big teams tended to make it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to say the, the, the group F, group of death, we suspected, but France, Germany, and Portugal all made Found it through. And even in group uh, C, Netherlands, Austria, Ukraine made it through. Italy, Wales, and Switzerland made it through from group A. Uh, Sweden, Spain, and Slovakia made it through. So, England, Croatia, Czech Republic. So, no big team really got knocked out, which tends to happen in major competitions. So, all the big teams had smooth sailing. Uh, except Turkey, who disappointed us. Okay, except, well, <laughs> Turkey, we had great hopes. Okay, let, let's start with that. What happened to Turkey? Because some have said that qualifiers are different from tournament football. Yeah. Maybe they, did they come with an attitude? Because they were a team that a lot was expected of. But for them to play three games, one none, uh, very disappointing. Very disappointing. Or lost all three. They were my dark horses mm. for the competition. And one of the reasons is because of the coach that brought them to this tournament. Probably one of the most successful managers in Turkish football. Uh, got them to the semifinals in the 2002 World Cup. And I felt that they had a very good young core that seemed to be developing very well. Uh, but somehow, I think, like you said, I think they came up with a bit of an attitude, mm. expecting that, you know, bad as a bad, we should probably just finish behind Italy. Mm. And, you know, they probably looked down on Switzerland and Wales and felt that look, they could find a way uh, out of this group. Or also, you could also say they were somewhat a little bit unlucky as well. Uh, some of their big hitters, uh, Akan Kaleonu, uh, Mars just they hit the heights. Uh, for me, I think their best player was uh, their left back. Aside that, everything just went down. Just didn't go well mm. for them. So uh, I I think that's where you have to say Turkey put a huge huge dent on their reputation for mm. this one. But then it could also be a blessing in disguise for the future. Yeah, you know they might just learn a few lessons from here, from there, yeah. and then you probably see them pop up in the twenty twenty two. World Cup or maybe the 2024 Euros and then be uh, a because, lot better. Because definitely um, it's a team with great potential yeah. and that potential won't just disappear o- overnight. And a team that seemed to have learned the hard way, buddy. They didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. They brought in Roberto Mancini. 
and it looks like he's changed the whole face of Italian football. Now, they play solid defensively. They still offer a lot on the front foot. You know, so he's added that flair and forward thinking to Italian football. And Italy, uh, three wins out of three, nine goals scored in the group stages. I mean, seven goals scored in the group stages, none conceded. A long record of 30 games, I think. They've equaled the record that stood almost 100 years in their national team in terms of uh, unbeaten runs. What has Roberto Mancini done, buddy, that is working so well? The default of, um, they say attack, the, the attack, your attack wins you games, your defense wins you championships. Yeah. What, what he has done, he has brought back, so I, I think I, I was watching, I, I can't remember whether the apostles are going in, and the, and the, and the commentator said, this is Cantonacio at its best. Mm. Italians are known for defending, like, 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 like you rightly mentioned, their solidity is back. You know, what I like about that defense is that is the way he picked players and they are perfect in their roles. But you know, what tickles me most about it, that Italian team is the front three. Did you, all of them, any of them can get you goals. And I think that, that this is what makes these Italians dangerous. They are solid at the back and they can pop, pop up and give you goals in front. All Machine has done is harvest uh, the, the best, uh, uh, the best three forwards that it has now, and found a way to make them play together without getting in the way of each other, while focusing on building a team that is solid at the back. And it seems to be working wonders. Well, it's, it's, maybe she may be tested, maybe not, but from the three games that they have played so far, players have shown that, shown that they can be patient and they can be deadly. Mm. They don't rush their play, and when they, and they don't snatch at their chances. When yeah. the chances show up, trust one of one of the three. Okay, definitely. At the time of our recording this podcast, the Italians have indeed gone into the knockout round, but we won't dwell on that. They've shown a lot of patience in that game. But Yemi, the the thing about Italy is that they tend to have a team full of stars. But this team, maybe if you mention, maybe only Chiro Immobile, who is a bit of a star, quote unquote, and maybe the goalkeeper Donnarumma, who's has a sort of a big yeah. but it looks like it's a sum of the parts. They don't have prima donnas and everybody's working. We saw in the game against Austria how substitutions work for him on the long run. And I think that's essentially the strength of this team. The strength in numbers and not individual uh, players uh, glorifying the team. It's important to have a, a strong core mm. uh, across board. And I think they have probably the strongest squad coming to this competition. And the squad generally has very good balance. So you are talking about star names. Mobile is agreeable, agreeable, agreeable because he's gone to a few places and yeah. hasn't been successful. Mm. Doroma is young. <laughs> the guy, I say he's young, he is young, but because he's been around for for a while, for a while you 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 tend to wonder, you know, how young is he? But he is probably the leading line. And of course, the guys they have in defense, Bonucci and Cellini, they've also shown in this competition that even when they chop and change whatever whatever personnel they have at the back, they're still able to maintain the same level of solidity. In midfield, they have a certain Nicola Barella, who I think is probably one of the best midfielders in the world today. Mm. His ability to get into the box, score goals, contribute as much as possible, is second to none. In I think he's played twenty six games for Italy, 
And in those games, Italy have not lost. Yeah. So it shows you how integral he is to this team. So and then they have a few guys on the bench, the likes of Locatelli, Pessina, Federico Chiesa. Who've all contributed. Who've all, who've all come off the bench and scored in this tournament. So it, it just aligns the strength of the squad that they have. Let me go to Bode's adopted country. <laughs> Bode loves England. <laughs> They've qualified uh, three games. They scored only two goals. Two goals. But conversely, they didn't concede any. So, I mean, I remember the last winners, Portugal. Portugal drew their three group games and then went on to win in 2016. So, where do you place England, buddy, uh, from what you've seen? Where do you place England? Considering that it's your former player that is their manager. Your former Villa player, Gareth Southgate. Don't be biased. (laughs) Southgate? Southgate is annoying. <laughs> First off, let me say that um, no, no matter what people say about Southgate, Southgate and uh, and um, and Jack Grealish, I think it's an English thing. Look through through history, the players that have continental uh, continental uh, play, uh, continental skills are never valued in England. Yeah. Then Hoddle, um what, what was the name of this Southampton player? Matthew Letizia. Matthew Letizia. Matthew Letizia. Now, they're Grealish. Look. Probably only Paul Gascoigne, has... a little bit, was a bit valid. Yes, a little bit. Probably Gascoigne was... Exactly. So, I'm not surprised, but having said that, England play, play a lot of passes sideways and backwards. <laughs> that is troubling. Possession starts. And, uh, what, what is... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And what it means is that when they face a side like Italy, if they ever get to meet Italy, the result can only go one way. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't see the English scoring against our Italian defense, and I suspect that their defense will cave in to one of those raspy Italian attacks. But don't let's get ahead, ahead, ahead of ourselves. As we speak, England have not played their quarterfinal uh, final match, but like you mentioned in their in their in their, in their, in their, in their group stages, they managed to they, they, they managed to win two matches. And, and, and they managed to... But you see, that game against Scotland just underlines how tedious England can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't care whether it's a local derby. Scotland were a workman-like side. What you needed to do was find players, put players on the pitch. With quality. That could... That could and, 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 and quality and Look, these players, are, they are not to each other. I'm wondering, why not play Bukayo Saka? As a, against Scotland, no players that can dribble will take Scotland. But hey, so for me, England, they, they are singing is coming home. I don't think it is, but <laughs> stranger things have happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's one team that it looks like this is probably their last chance of uh, living up to the hype of being a golden generation and the number one team in the world for quite a long time now has been Belgium. Impressive in the group stages. They won their three games. They had to come back against Denmark. Impressively, they brought the Bruyne in. They have so much going for them as we speak. I mean, they are into the quarterfinals because they knocked out defending champions Portugal. But it does look like this is like a last chance saloon for them. If they don't win this one, although, they, well, they have another chance in the UEFA Nations League. But if they don't win this time, you do feel that this golden generation are on their last legs 
and the opportunities are dwindling fast. Yes, the opportunities are going to reduce. Um, the backline are in their thirties. We're talking very late. Uh, other words, we're talking. Mm. Yeah, the three of them, the combined age is over 100. Uh-huh. There's Denaya, yeah. there's Boyata, and then the irony is those two I mentioned are probably not as good as the three that yeah, are in, in, their, in, in, in their 30s. Midfield wise, they've also shown that without the Bruyne, they lack an edge, a huge mm. edge, you know. Uh, Hazard is struggling, yeah. has been at his best, but, you know, it seems to be growing into the competition. So it's last chance alone. However, like you said, they probably have another chance. They just think that maybe the World Cup comes around at the right time. But then, I'm sure that the number of guys in this team today won't be able oh, yes. to make that World Cup in 2022. Oh, yes. you know, the World Cup is well over a year yeah. from now. So, and you talked about that back line. That I'm back, not sure all three of them it's, will be it's a huge worry for me. Um, we said we're not talking about the Newcastle, but they've shown that that back line can be challenged and they can get behind them. Yeah. If you have a team that has a bit of inventiveness, can run at you, they will get behind that Belgian backline. Yes, what that they have going forward in terms of uh, the powers of Lukaku, the inventiveness of Kevin De Bruyne, I still have, I still have my doubts about Belgium. Okay, buddy, one of the beautiful stories coming out of this tournament has to be the delightful Danes. On the opening day of this tournament, it was a near tragedy, a traumatic experience, and um, <laughs> uh, but we thank God Christian Eriksen collapsed and he recovered. He's not been able to play. But after losing their first two games, the Danes went on to defeat um, who was it now? Russia. Russia by four goals to one. They qualified as we speak. They've gone into the quarterfinals where they'll play the Czech Republic. So who knows? That's a winnable game for them on paper. So. How have you felt about this Danish story? Already some of them are thinking of 1992, almost 30 years ago, when they had the Cinderella run. They were not even supposed to be at the tournament. They went ahead to win it. Uh, Peter Schmeichel's dad, I mean, Kasper Schmeichel's dad, Peter was goalkeeper. So people are already dreaming. Um, is it a dream that might become a bridge too far? Or like we said, this tournament has been won by Denmark in 92, Greece in 2004. Who knows? <laughs> Exactly. Who knows? You see, that, that, that is one thing that, uh, that that you and I know. Grief unites people. And mm. for about five, ten minutes, the days were grieving that day. Mm. Uh, the, 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 the whole world saw it. Uh, and then, after that, uh, after that collective grief came collective exhilaration. And I think it has, it, it has transferred onto the pitch. That, you know, uh, when, when, when the academy was, was injured, their coach was talking about how Ericsson is their most important player. And nobody, I don't think anybody can, can argue with that. He's the highest player, pro, pro, arguably they are most skillful. And to, lose, and to almost lose him in that kind of situation in front of his own fans was almost devastating. And then they, they got over it. Now they are playing with the freedom that it's like the shackles are falling off. Yeah. You know, they're happy. They know Ericsson is not coming back, so they are not waiting on him. And they are joyful that he survived. He's not dead. Although we don't know, what, we don't know yet whether he's going to be able to play football. But I think it has, it has carried, on, carried on to the pitch. And yes, they can dream. Stranger things have happened. Uh, you never know. Look, when it comes to, to the knockout stages, it's just one game. And like we saw in the, in the game between, I think, um, uh, Portugal 
and uh, and was it, is it uh, and who again? Uh, well, sorry, we are, we are not talking about it. Yeah. But as 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 when, when it comes to when it comes to the, the knockout stages, I well I can refer to nineteen 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 eighty two World Cup. When it, when it comes to to, to knockout stages, a team like Italy who have just there in, no uh, in the in the just like Portugal mm. in the last tournament, okay. who do they have their three good good games? They can get to the to, to the to, to these stages and start bubbling. Okay. You know? And once a team is on the road they become almost impossible to stop. Yeah. Okay, what we'll do now is, I'll mention a few teams, I'll give you 30, 30 seconds to talk about them because we're running out of time. Um, Yemi, France? France look good, but um, defensively, huge problems. Of course, going forward, I think there's a, there's a conundrum in what style to play. What okay. position does Griezmann fit in okay. the most, especially with the return of Benzema? Okay, um, buddy, Germany? Germany have been have been playing in fifth in fifth and start DG. Uh but then, uh, uh, after the lockdown they are I was thinking maybe it's back to basics again. And then up pops uh, one of their one of their little maybe they start game two. And I was thinking it's okay. The, that, that program that, that they talked about in that famous book uh, mm. seems to be seems to be working well. I think the Germans always have a chance. Um, ne- never count count them out until they are beaten. Finally, I mean Spain. Spain doesn't excite me mm. in any Flatter way. Flatter to deceive. Flatter to deceive. Although, in all fairness to Enrique, I think Pedri has been really good yeah. in this tournament. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I'm not sure they can go okay. all the way. I'll round it up now. Your tips to win. Ah. Even though they, we, by the time we air this, the quarterfinals might be over. Ah. Mean, the round of six will be over. over. So, ah. your tip. Okay, I'll give you two options. One of two. Italy, Belgium. Italy, Belgium. <laughs> um, but Italy, Belgium. But uh, your tip to win two, t- two, 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 two names or two countries? Italy, Germany. Italy, Germany. All right. We shall see. All right. On that note, we'll wrap it up on Sports 360 Podcast for this week. Many thanks for joining us. As always, always good to have you. We'll do it again next week. See you then. Bye-bye.